It's a new day and opportunity is in the air. This is Philip with Soul Insights and you are tuned in to Good Morning Market, where everyday businesses are empowered to lead their market with the latest in market news, insights, and strategy. Hello everybody, it's really good to have y'all on the program with me today, wherever you're listening and whenever you're listening. A quick question of the day is definitely going to be on brand and on theme with today's topic. What is your favorite coffee order? And yes, that includes if you hate coffee with a passion and have no idea as to why anybody drinks it, um, you can definitely reach out to me. You can DM me on Instagram or comment on one of the clips I put up, uh, YouTube, uh, LinkedIn, um, email. I don't care. A link, you know, I just want to hear what y'all ordering. I also need some ideas for uh, coffee orders to get out there and be productive over the next couple weeks because. The holiday shopping season is here. We are in October at the time of this recording, and we're going to put some focus into that because uh, consumer spending is a major driver of the economy. Uh, The holiday shopping season is definitely a main driver of consumer spending. So this is a really important home drive, um, final push for all of us. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how things finish up for an economy that, you know, everybody's... um, I don't know, cautious, maybe not even cautiously optimistic. Everybody's kind of skeptical as to when things are going to take a turn for the worse, but obviously a good holiday season could help us all um, with in a lot of ways. And uh, we're, we're in here together, uh, and a lot of us are entrepreneurs. Uh, entrepreneurs are unique animals, and uh, it takes someone who's a little bit crazy or at least is, is a really unique character to want to – Go down the road of entrepreneurship. Um, today's guest definitely fits that description. One could say that she's maybe a sly as a fox, and that's a wink, wink, and a nod to my guest today, Jennifer Jenkins. Really excited to get her on the podcast. Has a really, really cool story. She's been in business for you know about fifteen years, but uh, man, in that short time span, um, she's done a lot with a lot of businesses. And her 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 business story really is a unique one from most of the. Uh, the stories that I've heard about small businesses. But without further ado, we need to get in that conversation and we need to talk with y'all about what happened in the economy recently. So coming from the market roundup for this week, we have first a report from Deloitte. Speaking of retail and the holiday shopping season, they put out their forecast. They're expecting holiday retail sales to increase between 35 to 4.6% year over year. Um, that's the likely increase according to Deloitte's annual holiday retail forecast. Overall, Deloitte's retail and consumer products practice projects holiday sales will total 1.54 to 1.56 trillion during the November to January timeframe. In 2022, holiday sales grew by 7.6 in that same period. And finally, Deloitte also forecasts e-commerce sales will grow between 10.3% to 12.8% year over year during the 2023 to 24 holiday season. This will likely result in e-commerce holiday sales reaching between 278 billion to 284 billion this season. And let's wrap it home with something that's a little bit more local as the flavor of today's uh, podcast uh, conversation is going to be. 
I've highlighted for y'all before Georgetown University's Coastal Economic Monitor, the Coastal Empire Economic Monitor, and we have the detailed deep dive on Q2 of this year, what happened. I'll read y'all just the opening paragraph, but you can get this uh, report quarterly for free and subscribe to that. The Savannah metro economy backslid slightly during the second quarter of the year, following a nearly two-year period during which the growth trajectory slowed. The regional economy gave up some ground. Weaker retail sales and a pullback in electricity sales, a broad indicator of industrial, commercial, and residential activity, weighed down economic growth. However, port activity increased on a quarter-to-quarter basis, helping provide some economic buoyancy. That, ladies and gentlemen, is your market roundup for the week. If you've ever been to Savannah, Georgia, which if you haven't, you definitely need to, to come visit. Um, it's a city that's filled with history and art, culture, some Southern charm, too. Uh, both locals and tourists, we all love our boutique shops along River Street and Broughton and Bull Street. And if you've ever been there, you'll likely notice, notice some artsy Fox-themed coffee houses that have become famous among both visitors and residents. Places like Henny Penny Cafe, The Coffee Fox, Foxy Loxy Cafe, Fox and Fig, uh, and more um, have been these different eclectic, really unique uh, places, meeting places and businesses that have been founded by this lady, Jennifer Jenkins. Um, she has been in business quite some time. She's uh, built up some really cool places that I've enjoyed personally, done business meetings at, and people from all uh, along the community Use it for all kinds of places because it's one of the most unique um, experiences that we have here in Savannah, Georgia. So now I get to talk with this serial entrepreneur, uh, Jennifer. Welcome to Good Morning Market. How are you doing? Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me. 100%. And now I, I, I know we've gone back and forth, and I just want to know what preferences are for this conversation. And do you prefer Jennifer or do you prefer Jen? Jen. Just okay. not Jenny. Exactly. I was going. The next question was me. What is your least favorite version of your name? So no Jenny, no Jenny from the block. It's just right, it's no just Jenny. Jennifer. Okay. Jen, yes. <laughs> Jen is good. Okay. Yeah. So um, I I love your places. Uh, I've enjoyed your businesses for a long time. By the way, um, when did you open up your very first location out of the ones that are open presently? Yeah, Foxy Loxy was the first one. So that was September okay. of two thousand and eleven. Open Foxy. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Did you ever take orders with the customers directly? Did you ever spend much time in front of the house? Yes, I did. I started out um, pretty much working all roles in the front of house. I, I've not worked all the roles in the back of house, but, you know, started on register. Uh, I don't mind doing dishes. Mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. float, float is, you know, running pastries and food out to customers and barista. So I taught myself and took some classes on how to be a barista. Um, okay. after I started Foxy, I didn't have those skills going into it, but yeah, I spent a lot of time, um, at Foxy and at Coffee Fox, uh, serving customers, working directly, you know, with, with the team in the front of house. And I did really, really enjoy that. I think it's cool. Cause you get to, you get to interact with the customers in a different way. You get to understand all the diverse, there's a lot of different dynamics within a, a coffee, uh, house, especially the one that does what y'all do, like y'all even have alcoholic beverages that you serve. So there's a lot of different dynamics to your places. Yeah. But I want to, I want to, I want to put this to you so you can help me 
Uh, I've been drinking uh, coffee. I was an energy drink guy for much of my early life, and I got switched to the the coffee train at the behest of my wife um, <laughs> about seven or eight years ago. Good. And I still to this day, I still to this day go into your places or any coffee house, and I'm still that guy who's just overwhelmed with all the choices and like what I still don't, I can't tell you what an Americano is. Like there's a bunch of stuff I still haven't figured out. So I want to play a little game with you just to to open up and good morning market. I feel like this goes really with the theme of the podcast. A lot of folks are probably drinking their morning coffee right now while they're listening. I'm going to yeah. give you a coffee order and you tell me what you think the purchaser might be like. So you just hear the order, you fill the order, you run it out to the customer. Um, mm-hmm. And it's all fun and games, folks. You know, don't don't clutch your pearls on us. We're just I'm just having fun here. So, <laughs> if you hear the order pour over, um, and if someone doesn't understand it, maybe you can just quickly explain what that is, and then like what kind of customers tend to want pour overs. Sure. So a pour over is going to be, uh, you know, you're going to hand pour the water over ground coffee, fresh ground coffee, and there's all manner of different filters and shapes and all of this for pour overs, but it is like a very cared for cup mm-hmm. of coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, it's in a way trying to replace uh, just your drip coffee, which right. is for, for a lot of people is um, kind of your, your, I don't want to say entry level, but what, what most people think of when they think of a cup of foundational coffee. level coffee, right? Right. right. Yeah. That's it. We call it batch brew or drip coffee. Mm-hmm. So the pour yeah. over is a, a more cared for cup. Um, so you're measuring out the beans exactly just for that one cup. You're grinding the coffee right then for that one cup, and then you're pouring it to, to bloom and then pouring it the rest of the way you're timing it, you're weighing it. Um, Depending on, you know, which type of pour over you go for, um, you know, the majority of them are going to be lighter bodied than a batch brewed coffee. Mm-hmm. And so it's a way of really pulling out uh, the flavors of the coffee if you want to really experience the floral notes of the coffee or the berry notes of a coffee. Um, I know a lot of people like the chocolate and nutty, mm-hmm. but you can mm-hmm. kind of get that with some of the other brew methods. But um, so, yeah, someone who orders a pour over. Um, they, they could be kind of new to specialty coffee and just be confused by it and order it or just be experimental and curious. I think I would guess the coffee connoisseurs probably want that. And and also if they're not in a hurry, right? If you're not in a hurry and you really have a particular (laughs) palate for refined coffee experiences, you might be a pour over person. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's more, more likely it's going to be someone that really does know third wave specialty coffee and they want that really cared for cup. And like you said, they're not in a rush. Okay. So uh, an Americano, you got to first of all, just explain an Americano, but then we can get into who's ordering these Americanos. Sure. Americano is going to be two shots of espresso that is poured directly over hot water. So um, it's, it's a way of, you know, it, it's called Americano. I don't, I don't have all the history like in, but you know, in Italy, they figured out these Americans wanted more water in their espresso. Oh, they don't <laughs> want to ask concentrated. Okay. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of where it comes from, but then it, it really took off for all manner of people. So yeah, it's, it's kind of watered down espresso, but you're able to get, you know, espresso is a very unique brew method where you're brewing under pressure and you're going to get a lot of different flavor profiles from that versus a drip batch brew coffee, which is just relying on gravity. Mm -hmm. And so it's a way of kind of having a full cup of coffee that you can sip on, but being able to get the flavor profiles that you can specifically out of espresso. 
So now the next one. I was going to say that's still going to be yeah. someone that kind of knows specialty coffee yeah. and wants to have that coffee not drowned in sugar or cream, and they really right. want to taste the coffee straight up. So that's still going to be kind of a coffee connoisseur, I think. Okay, I got you. Mm -hmm. I've had one of these in my life. <clears throat> it didn't go over well. Maybe <laughs> I just need to uh, acclimate my palate to matcha, but the matcha latte mm -hmm. – who who's out ordering matcha lattes? Is it a health thing? Is it for the healthy people? I don't I don't understand. I know. I think I know the more traditional coffee drinks and people associated with that. And I think I'm still trying to make sense of matcha because it has very quickly become one of our top top sellers. Mm. And when we first opened Foxy and Coffee Fox, we didn't even have matcha. I had to sort of be a little convinced, you know, mm -hmm. that it wasn't gimmicky that it was something that people genuinely wanted and enjoyed and that we could find a good version of it. That's not sugary and, yeah. um, you know, not cared for beverage. Um, and so I, I have kind of turned the corner on matcha. I think matcha to me is a little bit similar, like the people that are going to be interested in matcha to mm -hmm. me, kind of like people that are interested in chai lattes, like they want to come, mm -hmm. They want to have the coffee shop experience. They're looking mm -hmm. for a beverage that they can enjoy if they don't really, really love coffee or don't want that level of caffeine hit. Yeah. So I think it's for people, maybe it's um, people who do love coffee in the morning, but they want something that's, um, again, not as um, heavy caffeine-wise in the afternoon. So I think it, it really runs the gamut of the people that, are are drawn to it but i i lean more towards people who are like i want to hang out in coffee shop i want this ritual i want this experience but i love coffee what do i do mm -hmm. you know? exactly oh that makes sense actually it's pretty logical um this this drink of choice ha needs no introduction and it is october so you know i had to ask about it the pumpkin spice latte <laughs> hot or cold um a bajillion dollars worth of ads uh for it around america yes. tell me about that psl customer oh so I mean, we have meetings over pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> like I, I hate it. <laughs> I being a, a you know independently owned coffee shop where I often try to rail against the yeah. Bugs menu. Yeah, um, want to be a contrarian, right? <laughs> yes, yes. And so, I mean, still at Foxy, we don't do anything like this year is like the first year that I've finally. Uh, buckled a little bit to mm -hmm. some of the teams and the managers. They're like, can we have something that's pumpkin spice latte adjacent? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> that's just the, the, called that, you know? Yeah, um, the, the rebel friend yes, who's secretly like in the click, but, you know, it looks more edgy. Spice. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. I like fall spice. Like, so cinnamon, allspice, nutmeg, yes. clove. Like, I, I like to use those for all kinds of des uh, dessert cooking. So I'm like, right. I am I understand the, the draw to it. And really, it's not even like pumpkin spice it's just fall spice right because yeah. are you someone out there really putting like pumpkin extract or something in their their oh, drinks yeah. most of the time it's just a fall spice you yeah. you you want dessert in a cup right so yeah i i just kind of i rail against it and i really struggle as an owner of like when do i am i willing to you know budge some on this and please the people, you know, mm -hmm, they want mm -hmm. they're asking for, and I, and I still struggle with it to this day. Mm -hmm. So, um, I guess that's more of the story of me and pumpkin spice latte and not thinking of the customer <laughs> that would be wanting it. But I feel like a customer that's going to want a pumpkin, pumpkin spice latte is similar to a customer that likes our horchata latte. And oh, that's yeah. someone that 
um, they're not ready to have straight up espresso. They're not ready. And they, and they also may not know because of going to other, I hate to like keep bringing up the Starbucks of it all, but mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're used to going to um, places that aren't third wave or specialty coffee shops, then a lot of times the beans are not really responsibly sourced. They're not mm-hmm. um, roasted in a nuanced way. They're mm-hmm. like roasted way past, Yeah, um, you know, they'll almost burn it in a way to make exactly. sure that the coffee just tastes the same, no matter where it's from. That's what I call French roast. It's just a fancy word for they burn the beans. <laughs> right. Right. And that is a way to just get that coffee to taste consistent. You yeah. Know, yeah. You've got rid of all the nuance, you know, right. but, um, what I think of, you know, people that want syrups or pumpkin spice latte or horchata latte is that they haven't had an experience yet with espresso or with coffee to know that if it's handled really, if it's sourced really well, if it's roasted well, and if it's prepared well by a barista and actually doesn't have like a ton of bitterness, it can have a really great, well-rounded chocolatey, nutty, if you like that, mm-hmm. or floral or berry. It can have all these really beautiful flavors as it, if it's prepared well. Mm-hmm. And then you realize you don't have to have as much sugar and milk. Yep. Like I think a lot of people get in the habit or they know coffee or espresso as something that has to, they're like, I like the feeling and the weakness that I get from this drink, but I don't want to yeah. have to taste that. Right. So I want to drown it out you know, with sugar and cream. So I, I actually had an experience. I went to Greece and then Turkey last year. And so I got to have the Greek style, you know, Turkish style coffee mm-hmm. and it was different, but I, you know, I really mm-hmm. tried to like fully immerse myself in it. And of course, like they don't like strain out the stuff at the mm-hmm. bottom. So you got like the sludge, you gotta be careful <laughs> not to drink at the bottom of your coffee, but it's like a very rich, refined yeah. uh, experience. And I, I did try to respect it. like, okay, I'm not going to be dousing this milk and sugar and yeah. more syrup. And I like, actually want to appreciate the richness of it. And, and it was really cool to be able to experience that when you're not drowning it with syrups and, and cream and all that good stuff. Yeah, there's so much to experience when when it's allowed to show itself. Yeah. Right. So the, the final one, because you mentioned the orchata latte. So the, yeah. the Mexican mocha and the orchata latte are probably my favorites at uh um because I like those Mexican uh flavors. I like orchata, period. Mm-hmm. At uh Foxy Loxy. But I'll go ahead and add we'll finish with something that most Americans are you know, maybe we're not uh, courageous enough to drink it all the time, but the black drip. Who who's the black drip mm-hmm. customer that you keep on seeing? Oh, the black drip customer is um I feel like they're they're a dwindling breed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really feel like there's so many options now. True. That, and when I look at the sales for drip coffee, um, it's just uh, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of going by the wayside. I think of people that are drip coffee as more I guess what I pay attention to about them is more their their pacing and their ritual aspect about it, that they're the ones that they want something gradual that they can sip on for a long period of time mm-hmm. and get a refill. Right. You know, like it's more right. about the timing and not wanting to overdose themselves with espresso mm-hmm. and cold brew. Like those are very, very yep. caffeinated. Your drip yes. is a little gentler. And yep. so it allows someone to just sip on that for a longer period of time and then get a refill and fill their afternoon then. So I, I noticed the people that do that, they're the people that are hanging out for a long time. Mm-hmm. They're working on the computer or reading a book or something like that. That's the, the drip coffee 
person that I know of. <laughs> yep. That's, that's, that's mean. And you know what? I don't make it black enough like I should, but I have been trying mm -hmm. to get like better qualities uh, and responsibly sourced mm -hmm. coffee beans, yeah. uh, which, which really helped make the, you know, the classic old fashioned coffee experience that much better. And you don't need to yeah. drown it or mask it with all these different sweeteners and whatnot. So speaking of the roasting process and coffee, yeah. um, you've, um, been in business with these different places. I mentioned the Coffee Fox, Fox and Fig, Foxy Loxy Cafe, Henny, Henny Penny Cafe. You even have an, an, an event venue, uh, the Gingerbread House, which is located next to Foxy Loxy Cafe. But now you've gone into roasting. Um, you actually have a new company, your newest company that you've launched, Coffee Fox Roasting Co. Mm -hmm. Um why do you keep on starting these businesses? Like what got you like, Hey, I want to be an entrepreneur. Um, what was, and so I guess that's a two part yeah. question. What mm -hmm. drove you to want to be, you know, running your own business and then what has kept you opening up these different concepts and businesses? Sure. Um, it's for sure evolved over time, you know? So like, uh, initially, um, with Foxy and coffee Fox, I was looking for a new career path. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I was, I was um, teaching printmaking at SCAD and I have a master's of fine art from SCAD and um, I needed a, I needed a, a job path that wasn't through academia cause it didn't quite fit. Yeah. And, um, and I always remember, you know, a handful of places that I had worked, I had worked in biotech a bit in the past and then um, worked in academia. I always, something always bugged me to not be at the table where decisions were being made. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't know if that bugs all people or if that's something entrepreneurs, you know, eventually are like, I don't, you know, like to be downstream from mm -hmm. decisions being made, even mm -hmm. if it's great or if mm -hmm. it had, it just, it's, it was fascinating and interesting to me. I want to be at the table mm -hmm. there you're talking out and trying to make decisions and figuring out how to pivot. I wanted that freedom. Um, so that was kind of some initial, you know, drive to want to have my own businesses and um, choosing them to be coffee shops. I, I feel like I spent um, most of my life. I was a Navy brat and moving around a Navy brat and an only child moving mm -hmm. around every two to three years. I found um, comfort and home and connection in coffee shops wherever we moved. Yeah. And so when it came to trying to decide if I was going to start a business, what business would it be? And I really thought through it. I was like, you know, I feel like I've studied coffee shops and mm -hmm. the social interaction and these spaces mm -hmm. and how the spaces feel. And I feel like in the end, I've studied that all my life mm -hmm. and quite, you know, I wasn't taking notes for a purpose, you know, right. but I really spent a lot of time um, paying attention to that and what works and what doesn't work, what felt good, what didn't feel good of spaces. So I think that that's what led me to coffee shop and wanting to start my own business businesses. Um, initially it was just to start one coffee shop. I had no plans of doing many locations. Right. Right. And each step, um, you know, the coffee Fox, that step was just like a really great opportunity um, falling in my lap. I was like, well, I should do that. I should give mm -hmm. that a try. try. I'm mm -hmm. curious. Let's do that. You know, I wasn't looking for it, but a great opportunity fell in my lap. Um, and then, you know, Henny Penny and Fig, both of those were, um, you know, 
really supporting a drive and an interest of managers that I had at that time. Mm-hmm. And Henny Penny in particular was solving a problem. Mm-hmm. So really, I feel like since Foxy and Coffee Fox, most of what I've done since then is solving a problem that I'm coming across in, as, we're, as we were scaling, as we were getting okay. here. And I was okay. Solve a problem. So Henny Penny was solving the problem of the bakery team not being able to bake everything overnight in Foxy's kitchen. Mm-hmm. They needed their own kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the drive to find that location. Okay. And then really needed to have something be unique enough about that because we just happened to find a building on the same street as Foxy. <laughs> okay. So that's where the parent tribe and the art classes and everything, we needed to be different enough from Foxy to be able to drive enough traffic in there. But a lot of it was to really about getting a bakery team, their home base. And, um, and then the coffee Fox roasting co, you know, that location out there, we needed all the cafes as a group needed a warehouse. So Mm -hmm. first we just went out there and that was a warehouse for us because all of our cafes are in like old tiny buildings in a way yeah. like yeah. well i would say that the buildings themselves are not tiny but they're topped up in the tiny spaces and are small yeah and so we we needed storage space so we started with mm-hmm. warehouse and then what we needed was a place to train our baristas where they mm-hmm. weren't facing high volume um business and so okay. all of our cafes had high volume business so you couldn't train a barista mm-hmm. in that environment wow so we built a little cafe in that warehouse to solve that problem and then the roasting part of it, um, I guess in a way that harkened back to my need and want to be at the table to make mm-hmm. decisions myself and not be downstream from other people's decisions. Mm-hmm. We had worked with Philip at Perk for from the very beginning, and Philip and I, both of our businesses grew, mm-hmm. you know, big quickly. It felt like you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, still I talked to Philip, love Philip, you know. Mm-hmm. But it just felt like that time, it was time for us to be able to start to venture into, I want to decide what beans we bring in. I want to mm-hmm. decide what farms we support. Mm-hmm. I want that opportunity to establish those relationships and learn that area of it because it's so important. Um, so yeah, all so much of that has been about, okay, what problem do we need to solve next? What would make all of this better or more sustainable and allow us to um, be as big or as busy as we are, but have it be more efficient and organized and um, excellent. You know, this is like what each step was trying to do. So as not the answer I was expecting, because mm-hmm. when I think of like restaurant groups or food service, I would think that e- e- you'd go one of two directions. Either you just open up more coffee foxes or more foxy Aloxy cafes just to scale up the same experience, mm-hmm. the same concept, or 
like some of these, and we have some great restaurant groups in the Savannah area, like restaurant groups up and up this concept and this concept. I'm going to do Italian here and I'm going to do Asian fusion there and I'm going to do American diner here. And it's interesting that, yeah, all all, all the subsequent concepts were not just, hey, I came up with a new concept. It was actually to solve a problem that uh, presented itself as Mm -hmm. these businesses started to mature and you started to scale and you just had unique needs and so it mm-hmm. happened to turn into right time right place where they came became their own entities but they were really enti- entities that were solving specific problems from the previous entities that's a really cool evolution yeah, yeah. Uh, approach uh versus <laughs> what i'm used to yeah absolutely so <laughs> let me ask you this well we talked a little bit uh before the interview and um something that you said really stuck with me um finding personality in your venues and like I, I could tell that it's important to you and it obviously makes sense once you said it because I'm wow because each of these places I've been to mm-hmm. I think nearly every one of them if, if I think I, there's only one maybe one that I've not been to mm-hmm. um I can see the personality it just shows through like it's not just like okay I want to have a good coffee house or I want to have a boutique coffee house like these are unique places that people just keep wanting to go to because they it's like it's like a person like they have their own little wrinkles and nuances um why do you take such care in, in making your venues have unique personalities and, and character? I mean, I don't know if it makes a difference in your opinion or what you see the fruit of that but you obviously see it as being very important yeah, I would say it's it's close to my why. You know, I think if I could spend all of my time caring for the environment that the employees are in and the community and the customers are in, mm-hmm. if I could spend all my time focused on that and tweaking that and making that better and just I would just be in love with (laughs) how I get to spend my time. And that is what I work towards over time is to hand off aspects of um, operations and HR and finance and stuff gradually over time, Mm -hmm. looking to find a way to hand it off responsibly so that I can lean into the creating um, spaces, community spaces. Um, I just like, my favorite thing or that someone ever says is when they come into the courtyard at Foxy and if they're talking to me, they're like, you know, there's just something about this space, mm-hmm. you know, it's so peaceful. Mm-hmm. There's something, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. Mm-hmm. I just love being here. Mm-hmm. Like it's that unspoken um, connection and peacefulness and a space for um, untimed unscheduled social interaction yeah that i'm just i'm so driven by and i i just enjoy it so much so i could never imagine doing this and not putting a Mm -hmm. lot of time and effort into that and um the times that i am most stressed is if operations wise were bogged down and i'm tackling some stuff that i almost feel like i'm not able to attend to the Mm -hmm. spaces and Mm -hmm. they and other people may not notice it, but I'll notice if, of like, I feel like this has not been attended to. I feel like this has not been cared for enough mm-hmm. right now. Um, and that's more by me, you know, like not not a judgment of the team or anything, but me yeah. not being able to have that time to to tweak it. So, yeah, I, I uh, and it, it was, I know one of the questions becomes, you know, going into to COVID, but that, that was the time that made that even clearer to me mm-hmm. what I'm driven by and what's important to me because yeah. all of that aspect got shut down 
Mm-hmm. And we were then left with a transaction. Mm-hmm. And that's all it was. It's like, here's this product and you mm-hmm. give us money. Don't, we're not going to breathe on you. You don't breathe mm-hmm. on us. And we need you to exit the premises. You know yeah. what I mean? And it was very clear to me that it's like, wow, this is so far from what I'm driven by is having yeah. a transaction of exchanging goods for money. That yeah. That is really just a, um, a financial engine to maintain a gathering space yep. is the way I think of it. Yeah. No, and, and a couple things that I picked up on, and I'm not an artisan like you. I, I don't mm-hmm. have those same gifts. But like one thing, and I think a lot of my audience was hearing it too, is mm-hmm. something we talk about our, uh, with amongst ourselves as you know other kind of business owners and leaders is you, you can't constantly be working in the business. You have to take time to work on the business from the outside. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, you've been an operator, everything from doing the dishes to launching new concepts. But the more that you can um, strategically hand off more of the day-to-day stuff, then you can continue to nurture these different living creatures and continue to keep them fresh, but also true to their history and and what they are in terms of personality and character and, and experience. Because once again, like I'm, I'm not going to Foxy Loxy to go grab a cup of coffee. I'm not, mm-hmm. I, I can get that from anywhere. I'm going to Foxy Loxy to have an experience. And that doesn't just happen, nor do you just set up the template. And because it used to be really awesome means it will perpetually be awesome. So I love the time and care that you as a uh, entrepreneur still take to work on your businesses, work on these places to make sure that these meeting spaces retain what makes them awesome with which to start. You did go into COVID. And so obviously, Mm -hmm. I think everybody would be curious about how any restaurant or coffee place, anybody who's in food and or and, and beverage or hospitality survived COVID. I mean, I know there were things that were done to try to keep companies afloat, but regardless, I mean, you're already talking about the very nature of, of your line of businesses, mm-hmm. um, food and beverage, restaurant style, the margins, the volume that you have to move. I remember one of the first things that was explained to me, I remember during the spring of 2020 when we were talking about what, what we were going to do with just shutting down large parts of the national economy mm-hmm. was explaining on an average coffee uh, place, including a, a big chain like a Starbucks. Yeah. 30, you're open 30 days. You make the profit that you actually get to take home just because of the amount of volume and the margin you get per product moved. Mm-hmm. You make it in like a couple days out right. of the hole. Like, so you work, 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 work. You're, you're, you're in the hole. And then the last couple of days or whatnot, what was explained to me is when you finally actually make the money, you actually get in the black or you get in the green. Right. That must've been an absolute, you know, crazy hectic time. Could you just talk to me a little bit about COVID and then the fallout? I mean, obviously it's not just places being shut down. Then you have labor craziness to get folks here, people moving. Um, still to this day, as we speak, I pe- speak on the podcast, we have such a really low we've had like a low two point uh, percent uh unemployment rate for mm-hmm. like i feel like two years now so anyway it's yeah. loaded question but in any way you want to share the COVID experience and getting out of that you know what was that experience like there have been so many phases of it you mm-hmm. know um you know the the very beginning which just felt like yeah that very intense shutdown feeling like the whole thing is just falling off a cliff mm-hmm. and just looking at the bank account of like uh, we've got maybe two payrolls of money if we don't have any way of making revenue and mm-hmm. we have no solution, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then, you know, pretty quickly, and I do have to give them credit, whether it's the, you know, Georgia Department of 
labor, the federal government, like relief did come just in time, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but it just, the amount of admin work to get partial unemployment for every single person working mm-hmm. that we had to file weekly for God, like, I feel like over a year and then filling out and navigating and understanding PPP, how mm-hmm. to get it, how to use it properly. Um, and then there was restaurant revival funds. So like, thank goodness there were these relief programs, but it was also very nerve wracking because it was all done so quickly and the information about it mm-hmm. was very confusing. And you were, I, I wanted to be careful about accepting any money that I knew that it was okay to accept it, that I knew I had the right way to use it. Mm-hmm. Trying to get all that information when somebody mm-hmm. the banks didn't know, like different advisors that I'd reach out to. I mean, it just felt like the Wild West. It was just so nerve wracking. So, like, yeah, just the back end of trying to make sure there was money in the bank accounts to pay rent and pay employees and mm-hmm. pay years, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, like trying to keep any bit of revenue stream going and pivoting to delivery. And I remember like city of Savannah allowed alcohol to be mm-hmm. on deliveries. You know, mm-hmm. I remember this one lady I've never met her, but she would order nine bottles of wine and one churro muffin, you know, like and she would do it to be delivered. <laughs> uh, do it like once a week. And mm-hmm. I was like, God know, bless her. That kept things going. Know, right. This person like this right. was the pandemic. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, there was just a lot of phases. I, I feel like early on it was really intense and really scary, but it also felt like all of us that worked at the cafes, there was a lot of, we were in it together. There was a lot of togetherness around mm-hmm. the struggle. And I don't know when I feel like it coincided with the same time in our country where then everybody got in their different camps of Mm -hmm. ideas about what's right or wrong or how to go about this. Mm -hmm. And that existed in our culture in addition to the broader Mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. So that phase of it felt very challenging Mm -hmm. um, to keep a team together working towards the same goal. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, I don't know, I guess there was kind of some peaceful time there of like, okay, we have relief funds. Mm -hmm. We don't have enough revenue to cover payroll, but that's okay because we have these relief funds. But it gets you in a habit as a manager, as an owner, as a director of operations. It gets you in a habit of running businesses that are not financially sound. Yeah, Your your percentages are not in line, but it's okay for now, question mark. And so doing that, trying to rebuild the revenue and trying to figure out, okay, well, when is the revenue coming back? And then that next phase was, okay, revenue is back to what it was, but now our costs are way higher than we've ever experienced. Yeah. So yeah. now what do we do with that? You know? Yeah. And so, I mean, it has just been a constant, it's felt like we've gone through three or four phases mm-hmm. of rebuilding the cafes mm-hmm. since the shutdown. And I think it has taken a lot of endurance from me and my key people that have been with me through all of it. It's taken a lot of endurance and I'm so grateful for my, my key people, especially Julie, she's my director of operations. And um, she's been with me for seven years and every large thing admin wise that we had to tackle um, and team wise and just everything. But like, I remember telling her and I've told people if I didn't have her or someone in that role. And it was, if I was smaller, 
going mm-hmm. into COVID and it was just me, the owner, needing to fill out all this paperwork, navigate all these government programs, do all of that. I know absolutely there was just not enough hours in the day. And I thought of other people that just had one or two locations and they're just an owner and they're kind of their own GM mm-hmm. trying to do that. I don't think I could have done it. So yeah. I'm, I'm grateful that I was large enough to have a key role like that so that she could be there so we could divvy up this major workload of navigating COVID together, you know? Yeah. Um, and so now the, the more recent phase is it felt like, um, dropping off a different cliff of, okay, relief funds are done. Mm-hmm. Now we have to, the first time in years, stand on our own again. Yep. And our costs and our everything, yep. we have to find a way to get it in line again. Yep. And so that is the phase that we're in right now. And I've never mm-hmm. monitored cost of goods or labor more in my entire life. You know, mm-hmm. I just, I never had to. Mm-hmm. Um but I have to monitor every vendor truck. I have to monitor every schedule written, you know? Um, So we're, and, and I can tell that is the right thing to do right now and we're going to get through it, but Oh my God. (laughs) And I know I'm not alone. I know everybody's been through it in food and beverage, but, um, and absolutely like the positive side of it is uh, I am coming out of it so much more educated and, um, I, I feel like there's so much more I have confidence in that I could help our organization and our team survive mm-hmm. by having gone through all these phases of COVID. Yep. I'm not as intimidated by the what ifs and what if this happens or what if a hurricane comes by close? How do we, mm-hmm. you know, we've been through freaking COVID. And, yep, we're, it's true. and so there is that, that gift of it, of like, yep. okay, I've made it through it and I've learned a lot. knock on wood if you can get through this you can you can get through anything and i I, yeah i want to i want to tell you and and all of the you know the the great local places that are in hospitality food and service restaurant i mean i started my business during COVID, and there's challenges you know um for that but like for how much impact you'll have in the nature of your business and how many people you employed to be able to tackle the health aspects of a global pandemic, the economic shutdown, the cultural and civil unrest and divide, um, uh, employment, it, labor shifts, uh, and obviously pernicious inflation, the greatest inflation, inflationary crisis we've had since the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. Just so much to tackle. And like you said, you, you really had to reinvent the operations in so many respects to now live in the quote unquote new normal and the new era um, post COVID. I mean, it's, it really is something to behold. So I want to ask you some more questions, pivoting the conversations away from the meeting places and more towards the new uh, roasting uh, company Mm -hmm. in just one second. First, let's hear a quick message from today's episode sponsor, Soul Insights. This episode is sponsored by Soul Insights. Is your business looking to hit the next level of growth? For many businesses, they know they need to spend more on marketing, but don't want to simply shoot in the dark. They want a smart, data-driven path to solid growth. If this is you, then Soul Insights can help you to identify, attract, and retain ideal customers. Soul Insights is a strategic marketing agency which helps small and mid-sized businesses understand their best customers, who they are, their shopping behavior, and acquire new best customers based on that data. Oh, and it's all measured and tracked to ensure you get more profit bang for your marketing buck. Head to soulinsights.com right now and take the 90-second quiz to find your path to the next level. 
I do want to get and talk about the actual the coffee roasting uh, new business. Um, and you you actually explained kind of the reason solving problems and how Coffee Fox roasting came to be. Like you said, you know, Perk had really grown up and scaled out. You'd really grown up and scaled out. You wanted more direct control over the process because there's a lot of things that goes into the the actual coffee that y'all source for your different um, venues. So, I mean, I understand and I feel like now um, why you decided to just take that on yourself. Um, maybe you could then tell me a little bit more forward pointing on where do you think this fits for you moving forward? Do you have like some vision you'd be willing to share? I'm not sure if it's just it is there to serve your existing places or if you have other vision where you see it having a, a really good impact on its own. So I just was curious about yeah. that. Um, I think at this stage, um, you know, the, the other component of it that um, when I decided to take on roasting is that mm -hmm. there's kind of this new technology. It's called Bellwether is the company. Bellwether. And so they'll set you up with a roaster, but they have a master roaster or a whole team of master roasters in San Francisco that, you know, they are sourcing coffee. They're doing the master roasting and figuring out the roasting profiles and they can upload that on our roaster. Basically, anybody who has a Bellwether roaster, mm. then they'll upload the roast profiles. And so then we purchase our coffee through Bellwether, the Bellwether marketplace, because yep. and what's promised in that is that it is um, responsibly sourced. The full, you know, supply chain and everybody involved mm -hmm. in it is cared for and paid well. Like, yep. And that's a lot of what specialty coffee, the term specialty coffee, that's part of what that's representing is... Yep about the supply chain and the people working along that all the way back to the farm. So, you know, what Bellwether allows is someone like me where I, I have experience as an operator of cafes. I have experience creating spaces. I've taught myself how to be a barista, but I have not studied under a roaster. I'm not mm -hmm. a master roaster and I don't have a master roaster on staff yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so Bellwether allows someone like me to embark on roasting without those skills yet, mm -hmm. but allows me over time to grow those skills if we want to. And so the phase that we're in right now is we rely on Bellwether's knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, but what they allow us to do also is like there's one farm that I've been to. We call it origin trips in, in especially coffee. So the one origin trip I've been on is to Selva Negra, Nicaragua. This was uh, about nine years ago. So this is a while ago. But, you know, going there, meeting the lady who owns the farm, um, just experiencing that. And then, you know, when we were getting to leave, all of us coffee professionals that were on this trip asked, like, what can we do to support what y'all do? We love everything. Mm -hmm. And they're like, buy our coffee. Mm -hmm. That's what helps us the most. Right. And so I've been very passionate about supporting that farm from being able to go there and have a actual relationship with them. And so Bellwether was a step that would allow me to bring in Salva Negra. So mm -hmm. now I'm able to buy their coffee, but the master roaster at Bellwether did the profile roast, sent us samples so we could try it and uploaded that profile on our system. Very nice. So that's where we're at right now. And, and yeah, most of it is to then bring the coffees in that we want and mm -hmm. to roast there and kind of sell it to ourselves to, mm -hmm. you know, and we, you know, deliver baked goods from Henny and roasted beans from Coffee Fox Roasting Co. weekly, mm -hmm. multiple times a week. Um, and so 
we have to get that really, really stable and going really well before we really want to branch out and be selling beyond ourselves. The one yeah. account that we have that is outside of the cafes is to, I call her Mama K mm-hmm. um, at Bodega. So mm-hmm. they have our Coffee Fox Roasting Co. coffee there and they serve that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the one account where we've branched out. Um, but you know, it's, I'm a little torn whether I want to try to branch out further beyond our cafes with the current system of relying on the master roasters at Bellwether or if yeah. I want to really go down the path. Because what the Bellwether roaster allows you to do, you can completely disregard the Bellwether marketplace if you wanted to mm-hmm. and go source your own coffee directly and you can put on your own roast profiles if you have that knowledge so it's it's a uh, technology that is allows you to grow makes and sense so it really is hard for me to determine you know should we really invest the time and energy into developing a master roaster so mm-hmm. that we are going on more origin trips we're finding beans ourselves that we're bringing in and we're figuring out the roast profiles and right. then really push that or you know we know we're getting really great coffee from bellwether and we have the selva negra farm that we're supporting do we branch out at that at the current skill set that we have so i would say there's a lot of discussions behind the Mm -hmm. scenes on that trying to figure that out i think right now um the next step that we absolutely can do and want to do and i'm working on creating a shopify account because we don't Mm -hmm. have we do have an online store. Yes, yes. Not on Shopify. And I think if we switch to Shopify, that's going to more seamlessly integrate with Instagram and give mm-hmm. us more ways of, of getting that store visible to people. Yeah. So I think right now I'd like to just focus on direct to consumer mm-hmm. sales of our 12 ounce coffee right. and being able to do more sales of that. I'm wanting that money to come in to support the warehouse and the barista training program that we have right. in that space. You know, okay. yes. and so once I can cross that, then maybe I'd look further. But right yeah. now it's all about how can we grow that business of selling what we roast directly to our customer beyond just on the shelves at cafes. Right. But like you said, like, I think that ultimately what you're getting to is you're opening up a new world that obviously is a new world to learn, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of different pathways and purposes and possibilities involved yeah. in that, that now opens up a, a, just a whole new continent um, mm-hmm. from what you've been doing previously. Um, yeah. Let me follow up with this is because like you talked about Julie, you've talked about your team, you talk about your different businesses and mm-hmm. the discussions that go on in, in directions of your organizations. Um, mm-hmm. You're pretty scaled up. I, uh, what what wisdom have you gained over the years when you're trying to figure out uh, do it yourself what you've done hire or or outsource how does that go because like obviously you have these complex you know big moving machines and there's lots of different ones with different needs and so i feel like with with most of us entrepreneurs there's always the three options i can do it myself I can bring someone on the team to do it part-time or full-time, or I can outsource it um, like what you're doing with Bellwether in some respects right now. So mm-hmm. how does that decision process work from your experience? Oof. I'd say I'm still deep in learning mm-hmm. <laughs> in that path, you know? Probably the best yeah. answer, right? Who, who truly yes. knows exactly when to do that, right? <laughs> and I try to make the right decisions. I think um, that, again, when I think of the positive sides of COVID, of helping COVID clarify for me the things that I'm very passionate about and that I think I'm very good at. Mm-hmm. I don't think I had as much clarity about that before COVID. So I think I needed mm-hmm. to gain 
that, you know, in a way, I think I want my job description to be in and around brand management, mm-hmm. which also in my mind uh, involves maintaining the spaces in that customer experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if I think of me more as the brand manager where, you know, I am outsourcing graphic design and photography and help with social media, but I want that all very close at hand and be collaborative and involved in overseeing that as well as maintaining the look of the spaces and all that. Like that's yes. what I want to be spending my time and having my hands in that. I don't think I could ever um, really let go of fully and, and how that makes sense to me. Get to you get to have that self awareness over time over where you really shine and really what drives your energy and where you feel like you're best fit for the organization and the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then comes the other discussion, which is like, do I do I have someone from the outside help or do I bring in mm-hmm. someone to the team? And, and I know that in a lot of respects, especially with the nature of your business, you need someone like actually on the team yeah. to serve your customers. Yeah. 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 I I think also what I've learned in different times of trying to outsource different things, like I I don't know if it's having not found the right person or did I not um, hand it off in a thorough enough way Mm -hmm. or what caused it to not really hit the mark? Um, Mm -hmm. I'm definitely in a phase here of um, not, not wanting to overwhelm my plate and micromanage, but I do want pretty much everything to be um, people in the organization, very immersed in Mm -hmm. what we do and it's very hard anytime I try to outsource something, they just, like you said, like all of these locations are different. I didn't just mm-hmm. do 10 copies of Coffee Fox. Mm-hmm. That would have been financially really, really smart, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did it uh, because it's not mm, interesting to me. But I think that's where I find outsour- outsourcing not really working for me because each location is so unique and different. Right. That, that makes it very hard to outsource anything. Like I, I think right. I can people very integrated and immersed in our culture and them know me really well and me know them really well for them to really hit the mark right. and, and bring something to the table that makes sense for us. So I'm, I'm not, maybe I'll find something down the road that makes sense to outsource but for the most part i see it all under our own roof right is, but, is what works the best and, and like i said the, based off the nature of your venues and how hyper local and hyper unique they are mm-hmm. it's not built for the same reasons that other ones would be built in which would create you know uh, other needs that could be fulfilled by someone who's not eating living breathing mm-hmm. that that specific uh, character all the mm-hmm. time Right. So I I would like to ask you a bunch of follow-up questions, but I'll I'll settle for this one. Um, and and because I think this has been a really great conversation. Thank you once again, Jen, for for joining me this morning. Um, when it comes to entrepreneurship, 
because I mean, you you know um you've you've already shown a little bit that you're a rebel so i think uh you know, this will be an interesting question but let me ask first when it comes to being an entrepreneurship what is the number one way in which you're more of a condition a conventionalist and you're more of the by the book you know standard uh entrepreneur i know i saw this question i was like i was really thinking i was like i don't know I don't know. I think, and and some of this is kind of this new phase of, oh my gosh, relief funds are gone and we have to stand on our own again. Mm -hmm. I think that I've gone into this new phase that is more conventionalist of mm -hmm. really, really studying my numbers and really mm -hmm. paying attention to my P&Ls. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I don't know. I was just uh, lucky in a way that I did not, I had to pay attention to it before COVID. But, um, I don't know. It didn't, I didn't have to super monitor it before. Yeah. COVID. Right. And so now doing that, I never thought that I would be so much of a numbers person. Right. right. Now that feels like that's very conventional. Yeah. Grown up businesswoman. Yeah. Paying attention to my P&Ls and really making sure that, you know, I, I realized like that's how I can really take care of my people is to yep. make sure that I'm really taking care of this business being financially sound. Yep. So I, I, I didn't used to be that way. Maybe I was uh, naive or mm -hmm. I could have called myself rebellious in the past mm -hmm. of not super paying attention to my numbers right. um, and that I've shifted to grown up land here and that I'm really, really having to pay yep. attention to my numbers and really dial that in. So. Yeah, I love being un unorthodox, but I it, what I hear time and time again is, you mm -hmm. know, be unorthodox, be a maverick, but, you know, maybe not with accounting and finance. Right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. So um, I think, you know, you've hinted at it somewhat, but what do you feel like the number one way in which you are a rebel as an entrepreneur? Mm. Uh, I guess, you know, when I think of all the advice people over the years give me you know and and early on it was the especially when i was a barista or is on the front register right that's really tricky to be in those positions customer facing when you're the if they know you're the owner mm -hmm. because then they think oh now i can tell her everything she should do now i can convince her everything off menu that i want you know mm -hmm. what I mean? mm -hmm. yeah all your good that. ideas yeah um but there were a lot of you know what you should do you know what mm -hmm. you should you know what mm -hmm. you should do and a lot of the you know what you should do had to do with um people pleasing mm -hmm. you know, just and to me that translated i didn't think that's what these people were saying but it translated or i would process it as lowest common denominator let's yeah. just provide these things right. that people want whether it's syrups or um more basic pastry case items, things that mm -hmm. don't align with a vision or a theme or a personality. Yeah. Um, and I think if I had listened to that and there was a whole bunch of that, that, um, that wouldn't have worked. And so I did, I guess, feel kind of rebel and like, if we're going to have anything come out of this kitchen at Foxy, it's going to be Tex-Mex. It's going to be my childhood mm -hmm. food. It's mm -hmm. going to be tacos, you know, mm -hmm. and tamales someday. And I don't care if that makes sense with coffee or coffee house. It's, it's what I know. Mm -hmm. It's what I love. Mm -hmm. And I know that if I know it and love it, I can make sure it's really, really good. I yeah. have a strong opinion about it and I can want to eat it every single day and fuss mm -hmm. over the details and really dial it in. Yeah. And 
um, I would oscillate back and forth of like, am I just being selfish and just wanting to do the things that I love? Right. Um, but, but I really did experience that, you know, if I lean in heavy to what I really love and do it well, the, the people that like that too will find it and mm-hmm. will love it at that same level. And mm-hmm. I need to trust the kind of, if you build it, they will come kind of mm-hmm. ask there mm-hmm. um, versus the, okay, what does the market want? Oh, let's roll this out. Oh, this seems really hot. Let me, mm-hmm. let me put it out there. I think this will pan out, but yeah. no real personal connection to it. So I don't know if that's really rebel. I think a lot of people that do well in business do really lean into something very, um, something that they align with personally and stick with that, you know, mm-hmm. but I felt rebellious, rebellious against the, um, you know, what sh- you should, the, sh- the shooters, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. I, and I think that the, even the term like commercialized almost mm-hmm. has like undertones of like inauthentic or least common denominator or easy yeah. pleaser. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas you, you're basically taking the opposite approach is you are just going to be authentic and you know, the folks mm-hmm. who will want to come for that unique experience will come and mm-hmm. it, you know, like you said, you're willing to take the flip side of that, which is, it's not going to be for everybody. You'll have a bunch right. of folks who expect a certain thing from a coffee shop around the street or mm-hmm. a restaurant and you're right. not going to fit that mold, but you know, it's right. obviously worked out uh, mm-hmm. thus far with the, successful uh businesses that you built and they've lasted through COVID, which once again like you said if you can get through that you can get through pretty much anything right um and and i wanted to finish up with this which you know um i would encourage folks who get to come to savannah georgia to come check out your places but we have listeners from far and wide um Mm -hmm. what can people do if they want to learn more about uh, coffee fox roasting yeah so we have our online store and it's the coffee fox roasting co so you can go there and see all of our you know, various beans that we have available and a little bit of merch. Um, and then just the coffeefox.com, that website kind of mm-hmm. represents both the coffee Fox on Broughton and the coffee mm-hmm. Fox over on Louisville road. Okay. Um, so there's information there. And I think, yeah, we spend a good amount of time making sure we share information and goings ons, um, on Instagram and mm-hmm book but instagram mostly i like the image heavy side of instagram yeah so yeah i think that that would be the best and then just come visit and come experience mm-hmm. which matters the most 100 <laughs> percent. Right. coffee fox roasting co i do think i haven't spent a lot of time sharing with people that that is open to the public oh yeah so, over on louisville road mm-hmm. so off the beaten path it's in a warehouse area but it does face the road mm-hmm. um so that location is open let me get these hours right. 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday. You can go in there as a customer. Mm-hmm. And again, we're training baristas, but there's always a certified skilled barista there for customers. Mm-hmm. And in the back, and a lot of times we do have the door open is where all of our roasting is going on. So I recommend people come and stop in there. And that's like the one place that there's not a line. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Not a line. So stop in there and check it out. That's really cool. So folks, once again, I will put the links to those websites for y'all. Definitely follow them on social media. If you're around Savannah, come check out the place on Louisville Road or any of the any of the concepts in any of the places. Um, and of course, they have the website, which I'll link if you want to get some coffee straight to your house. So Jen, I really appreciate your time for uh, joining Good Morning Market. Um, it was a pleasure to be able to learn from your story and tell your story. And uh, we should have you on again sometime. I say that seriously. Awesome. Thank you so much for your interest and for inviting me. I appreciate it.
It was a really fun conversation with Jen. Definitely want to get her uh, back on sometime and and check check in on how that journey of hers is going. She'll probably have started three more businesses by the time the next time we just talk. But there's some really cool insights um, that hit me in talking with Jen. Let me recap some of that with y'all. First of all, I think it's interesting that Jen has created what I would call an ecosystem of businesses. They each serve each other's needs. So it almost reminds me of in school when I was learning about the cell and, and, and the construction of a, of a cell and how each different departments of a, of a human cell do all these cool things. She has an ecosystem of businesses that all support each other. They all serve each other's needs, but they also make money directly. That's the cool thing. It wasn't a business that exists just to serve another business. Um, it doesn't just indirectly uh, support consumers and, and build loyalty. Each of these things uh, are successful independently, but obviously were built. Their genesis came from needing to solve a problem. Really, really cool way to start businesses, and that that hit me for sure. Number two, a unique brand personality and customer experience is huge. We talk about it, and I think that this is a proof positive, a good example of why having extra – tender care to a personality, a customer experience, and blending those two things together in that marriage. Um, Jen is putting a lot of that in there. She pours time and nurturing into that. And the result is, is you've got really unique novelties that have a different feel when you're there. And it results in a heightened experience that goes well beyond the actual products. Like, listen, I, I get six, seven dollar lattes in all kinds of different places or, you know, Americanos or however posh I am that day in my coffee uh, repertoire. But there is absolutely a unique characteristic to, uh, about being at one of Jen's places versus being at other boutiques that are, once again, they're, they're very cool and good in their respect. And some of them have cool buildings, some of them have better coffee than others. But we're talking about a full, complete package when you go into any of her establishments, and I think that that same um, time and care and attention to brand personality and customer experience is going to carry over to this new roasting endeavor that she has just now embarked upon. Um, another thing is resiliency is crucial. Um, man, you've got to be tough as nails and resilient if you're going to survive what all kinds of food and, and beverage and retail companies uh, have had to survive um, and, and restaurants, obviously, COVID and post-COVID because like she, like she said, there's like four or five different domino phases. They each presented these huge rocks that they had to move. Um, you have to build a team is what I learned from Jen and you have to know your numbers. Um, once again, it's not like she didn't know her numbers before, but when you especially get to where we are today with this long-term entrenched inflation and increased competition and crunched uh, wallet share for for consumers, man, to be competitive and to be solvent and profitable and protect cash flow, all these things, you've got to be great at accounting. You've got to know your numbers. You've got to have a lot of oversight, and you could tell that Jen has had to has to up her game, and that's yielded strong results for her in 2023. Uh, and moreover, the final point I wanted to make is that Jen has vision. That's something that it, you can tell just by listening to her. Um, she knows what she's about. She knows what she's not, and she won't apologize for it. She knows who she is. She knows why she's in business and what she's seeking to do and what she doesn't want to be, and she's not just keeping up with the Joneses or just doing what everybody else does. Um, she knows what she's about, and that makes a huge uh, difference. I think that we all need to take a page from that book, whether you own a business or not, whether you're going to own a business. Um, you got to know what you're about. You got to know uh, what your vision is, where you're going, and why you're going there. Um, I actually just uh, 
met with a, a business mentor, um, and and he gave me some really profound advice that I did not see coming. I thought we were going to talk strategy and tactics, and he talked something much, much bigger and important uh, than that. Part of what he mentioned to me when I had lunch with him the other day is that people-pleasing does not pay. Um, and, and this is something that Jen is not. She is not a people pleaser. You know, even with at the very beginning of the conversation, the little tongue in cheek joke reference about, you know, not doing PSLs, not doing pumpkin spice lattes. She, she doesn't, that's just not who she is. She's not going to just go with the, you should do this or, Hey, have you thought about this? That's not how she is. She's not a people pleaser. And guess what? Counterintuitively, that's probably a good part of why she's so successful. And I know we talk a lot about on this podcast about, you know, needing to know your market and know what your market wants. That is part of it. But people, Steve Jobs also said the people don't know what they want. They know what's not working. They know what the problems are, but they don't really know what they want until someone shows it to them, which is why guys like Steve Jobs are in a different respect, uh, a gen, you know, people are really attracted to someone who has resolve, someone who has, um, uh, who, ha- who is uncompromising, someone who is different, someone who's novel. People are attracted to those kind of qualities, even if you're not giving them what they know to ask for. And uh, once again, the people pleasing doesn't, uh, does not play or doesn't pay. Um, I think that was, and I'm still processing through that, by the way, I'm kind of speaking extemporaneously, but, uh, I know Jen's got it. And so I think I want to spend some more time looking in, in, inward and introspecting as a business leader and saying, okay, where am I being inauthentic to what I really am passionate about and good at want to lean into and where might that actually be holding me back? Cause I'm listening to too many voices or I'm trying to just people please and, you know, work to the lowest common denominator. So a lot of stuff to process there when it comes to business ecosystems and brand personality, customer experience, resiliency, team building, vision, authenticity. Like there are so many different things that we're covering in that conversation. So it definitely bears uh, um, so maybe a, a cup of coffee to sit and think on that. But in the meantime, connect with me on LinkedIn, Philip Scrog. I would love to connect with y'all. Definitely go check out Jen's establishments and her new um, coffee roasting endeavor available for you know direct shipments online. Um, next week, we have a really cool conversation teed up. Uh, Taylor of WS Development, which is a really cool uh, multi-purpose retail uh, real estate organization up in the Boston area. Um, they also have a really cool podcast that I discovered, the Retail Darwin podcast, which covers um, a lot of the evolution um, and unique uh, developments in retail, just like you would think. So we're going to talk about you know what to expect for the holiday shopping season. We'll get into some retail-specific questions and challenges. Um, so y'all tune in for that. Set your calendars. Make sure you're subscribed. Thank y'all very much. Best wishes to you this week. And remember, in order to lead your market, you must first hear and know your market.